happiness. Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Banks. I'm the host of Leadership Luminaries, a People Smart production. People Smart provides innovative learning solutions, both virtual and in person, to organizations in many countries, cultures, and languages, focusing on leadership and people development in the context of digital transformation, change management, culture change, and the increasing need for emotional intelligence. My guest today is Catherine Llewellyn. Catherine is a self-mastery catalyst, a master humanistic psychologist, a type A wrangler, a writer, podcaster, free thinker, intuitive healer, conscious dancer, executive mentor, organizational transformation strategist, and last but not least, a cat lover. <laughs> As a master humanistic psychologist, Catherine helps successful entrepreneurs, executives, and business owners launch themselves to the next level for their businesses and for themselves personally. Her lifelong passion for human evolution and transformation began at age six, encouraged by her bohemian upbringing and a variety of catalytic, catalytic encounters with radical thought leaders. For over five decades, Catherine has investigated and incorporated the humanistic philosophical approach, along with the arts of physical embodiment, energy healing, and strategic creativity. She has a profound lived familiarity with what it is to be a free thinker and a non-conformist. For many years, Catherine worked on large-scale corporate leadership and transformation programs, aligning fiscal success with values-driven leadership and culture. Her clients were top business leaders whose transformations benefited thousands of people. Nowadays, Catherine works directly and privately with clients, hosts a weekly podcast uh, series called Truth and Transcendence, organizes local conscious gatherings for free thinkers, and periodically releases insightful and thought-provoking eBooks on Amazon. So today we'll be talking about well-being and vitality. What is it? Why is it so important? And how do you achieve it in a corporate work environment? Welcome, Catherine. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. And uh, I'm delighted that you're on the uh, show today. Um, Thank you. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. And the first question I'm going to ask you is, when did wellness become a topic of interest to you? You know, I think probably before I can even remember, because my um, my father, at some point in his 40s, encountered a situation where somebody who wasn't supposed to be curable from some appalling disease was cured with um, what was then called nature cure, which basically means sort of herbs and cold water and, you know, various things that are nothing to do. Cold showers. Your, Cold showers, possibly. <laughs> um, you know, it was somehow cured by things that were nothing to do with the medical establishment. And he immediately went and retrained as a naturopath and osteopath hmm. at that age. Now, I had I was about two, I think, at the time when he did this. And he began in private practice at home. Now, if I tell you that before that he was a civil engineer and a civil engineering uh, educator at university. So this was a significant shift 
for him. So right from the very beginning, we were brought up in an atmosphere of the body knows how to heal itself. We're supposed to help the body to do that, remove impediments to that. We were not given medicines or vaccines or anything. It was go to bed and stay there with the blankets up to your chin until you're better, which as children we thought was insane. <laughs> but, you know, as an adult, I'm, I'm now got, I'm, I've now got a very healthy body as a result. So right from the very beginning, I was kind of steeped in this, at the time, very weird to everybody else environment. This was the 1950s in rural England. You know, um, I'll never forget a story that a family member was in a pub, a young a man was in a pub and um, chatting to a young woman who he rather liked. She said, where do you live? And he said the name of the village. And she said, oh, isn't that where that witch doctor lives? <laughs> and he looked at her and thought, I've got a choice to make here. Either I have a future with this girl or I'll never see her again. And he decided to go with the latter. And he said, oh, you mean my relative, <laughs> Douglas Burnett, at which point, you know, but he, he said it was worth it for the look on her face. <laughs> so right from the beginning, there's been that nonconformist and also that connection with natural health and, and wellness. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, by the way, before we go any further, um, I read out uh, some of your biography mm. and you talk about being a type A wrangler. Yes. What do you mean by wrangler? In this well, you, you know, when people, you know, when people take these um, beautiful stallions that normally run the hills yeah. in charge of the herds of mares and they are feisty and they're in charge and they're the king of their domain and they have to be wrangled in order to be able to interact with them. The Taipei personality has a lot of similarities with that stallion expression. So a ta by Taipei wrangler. I mean, I'm somebody you can actually interact with the type A personality in such a way that we can then engage and accomplish something together. It's a little bit of humor really using the word wrangler, um, but I mean it with the greatest of respect and affection for the type A people I work with. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, when I was a kid, I used to watch that TV, American TV series, Bonanza. Mm. And they used to do a lot of wrangling on Bonanza. <laughs> it's exactly. all about horses being wrangled and Hoss <laughs> Cartwright and the Cartwright family. Uh, I'm showing my age now, aren't I? Uh, next, I'll be talking about the flowerpot men. I have no idea what you're referring to, Michael. What, the flowerpot men? <laughs> I do, actually. I'm just yeah, teasing. Yeah. Oh, you're teasing me. Okay. Fair enough. That's acceptable. Um, okay. So, do you think that uh, wellness is? Um, particularly important for organizations right now and why? Well, I think it's always important. Um, I think at the moment it's especially important for two main reasons. One, uh, we're moving into a new situation globally, which is in flux and keeps changing. And because of that, organizations need to be especially responsive and especially flexible and creative. And the, the wellness of the people in the organization and the overall wellness of the organization are key to the ability to be creative and responsive. 
So that's the first reason. The other reason it's so important at the moment is because such a large proportion of the population of the planet have suffered significantly over the last couple of years from the mitigation measures in response to the virus. And a lot of those people are still suffering now, even if, even if they're no longer directly um, feeling put upon in some way, they're, they're still, they still have within them the woundings that they received during that couple of year period. And the healing from that is nowhere near accomplished. It's going to take a long time. So there's a very, very complex healing process that needs to happen globally. And organizations need their people to be well and need the organization to be well more than ever. So you've got two kind of, um, that's a pairing, which is, 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 how can I put it, is on the negative end of the scale, that particular pairing the need for wellness and the lack of wellness at the same time. Right, I get it. Um, what about the connection? If you could elaborate on the connection between wellness and you talked about organizations needing to be more flexible yeah. um, and adaptable given the state of flux that we're in uh, planetary wise. What's the connection between the well-being of the organization and flexibility and adaptability? Well, if you think of a an individual human being when an individual human being is exhausted stressed in pain uh can't walk properly you know what, whatever may be wrong with them what that does is it, it pulls the energy and the attention inwards because the system requires the energy the attention to be pulled inwards in order to accomplish healing what that means is that there's less energy and attention focused outside of the person in terms of being able to observe what's going on around the person. And there's less energy and attention available to then respond intelligently to whatever is observed. So if you apply that to an organization, if you've got an organization that is metaphorically limping, metaphorically stressed, in pain, traumatized, it becomes much, much more difficult for that organization to have proper sensitivity and awareness and observation and discrimination and intuition and so on in regard to what's happening outside the organization. And of course, any organization must be able to tune in to what's happening in its markets, with its customers, in, in its particular industry sector. You know, if you don't have that information or if you have the information, but you can't take it in, and you can't process it because your mind's not working properly because you're in a state and therefore you can't use the information, you can't really be very flexible. I mean, I don't know about you, Michael, but I am at my most flexible when I'm relaxed, well-fed, I've had plenty of sleep, I've been doing my yoga, I've been going for walks, I'm feeling loved, I'm feeling safe, I'm in all those things. In those, in those moments, I'm extremely flexible. But if I'm exhausted, stressed, anxious, fallen out with everybody that I know, uh, et cetera, et cetera, I become a lot less flexible. Yeah, I really like what you're saying, because I think in essence, you're suggesting that what we need to be on guard against is this turning inwards. 
which is all about self-survival and concern about oneself. <clears throat> so therefore, um, I do see the connection that if you are feeling well, and if you have the vitality, that life energy mm. coursing through you, then it's much more, you're much more able to look outwards, yeah. to engage with people, to be present with mm. what's going on around you versus um, being pr so preoccupied with your own fear and stress and so on. Exactly. So I think, yeah. you know, I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, just to say, obviously, yeah. it is important that we look inwards sufficiently. Right. You know, that, that, there, that the looking inwards is required just, just as the looking outwards is required. I'm just talking about a situation where the, the inward focus is out of balance. Right. Because we are not well mm. or because we are exhausted. So yeah. therefore, they're having to turn in and, and heal you know right i get it is there a difference uh, do you think between or a distinction between individual collective and systemic wellness in organizations i would say yes uh, there is um so with with any with any group of people once you go beyond a certain number of people in a group you go past the point where you've just got a collection of individuals, each with their own state of wellness. You, you move into a place where there's a, there's a kind of collective wellness, a collective state or wellness. So anyone who's ever been in a crowd has had that experience that there's a, there's a mood to the crowd, which is distinct from if you were to sort of uh, test and find out about the mood of each individual in the crowd and then sort of add it up. It's almost like another organism takes place, which is the crowd. And you get the same thing in an organization. You've got the individual human beings, each with their own state of wellness. And you then got a kind of a collective state, which is not exactly the same as the sum of the parts. Mm. I won't say it's less than the sum of the parts. I won't say it's more than the sum of the parts. It is it is different. It's almost like some people say uh, an organization is like an organism of its own. And an organism has its uh, pressure points, its points of creativity, its points of energy, all of the different aspects, just as an individual human being does. So th that distinction is there. Now, the third one, systemic wellness, is is when you when you when you start to look at the organization and say and look at it as a system of interrelating parts that affect one another and build upon one another or impede one another and so on and so forth that system then um, gives rise to or supports or prevents different aspects of wellness in an organization so let me think of an example. Um, 360 degree feedback, that, that, that kind of piece of system that a lot of people have in their organizations now. So that is a piece of symptom that was a, a system that was originally put in place because people thought it'd be a really good idea and really healthy for people to get feedback from people all around them at all levels. 
and that this would be nurturing and supportive and helpful. Unfortunately, in most of the situations I've observed where that piece of system is in place, the actual 360 degree feedback process, if anything, undermines a sense of wellness because of the way that it's done, generally really because of the way that it's done. Usually people are trying to administer it when they don't have time, they don't have the training to do it properly, empathetically, people don't want it done. You know, the whole thing isn't working in terms of wellness. Now, there may be people listening to this who've managed to do it in a way that is really beautiful and works perfectly, in which case, great. But unfortunately, that's relatively rare. So when we look at systemic wellness, we're actually looking at what, if we look at the organization as a system, what is it generally encouraging in terms of wellness or lack of wellness in practice, as opposed to in theory? I'll give another example. Um, a client of mine, we, we, we hadn't started working together, but we'd known each other for about three years. I'd interviewed him for a dissertation and three years later we met up again and he'd been reading my newsletters and he said, uh, we're doing this, I think you can help us. I said, how did you know? He said, I've been reading your newsletters, so I know that you can. I said, fantastic. He said, right, these are all the things that we're doing to try to look after people, help people feel included, help with engagement, help people be creative and flexible. Should we be doing anything else? And I looked at, I don't know, maybe 15 different things they were doing. And I said, for God's sake, don't add more to that. What you're already doing is driving people mad. <laughs> Take away a good half of that and the other half, do it properly. And they were doing it with such good heart, such good will. But because of the nature of the culture and the nature of these systemic elements within it and the nature of the imperatives of the business, these great ideas were not doing what they should be doing. And we actually did a whole program around in, in improving all of that so that it was all, it all actually then became about genuine human relationship as opposed to a technique that should, in theory, make people feel as though they're having a genuine human relationship. Yeah, and, and that's... Um... Um, something that I'm sort of interested in, to what degree um, uh, uh, there's so many ways of asking this question of you, Catherine. Um, to what degree is our wellness programs virtue signaling? To what degree are um, the sort of the, the practices of wellness in an organization simply sort of band-aids mm. versus getting to the root of why an organization or the individuals within it are well or dead yeah. versus mm -hmm. vital. Yes, and I, I think any, any leader will know the answer to that question in relation to their own organization. Because when, when a person is doing something for virtue signaling, they know in their guard that that's what they're doing. So um, the, th the, thing about the thing about virtue signaling is it's, it's a bit of a complicated topic because sometimes for leaders, it's difficult to, 
Although I just said that a leader will know in their gut if they're doing something for virtue signaling. Sometimes it's the lesser of two evils. Sometimes there are pressures that a leader is having to respond to. And sometimes they, they almost feel like they're stuck between if I don't do something, mm. people will feel like I don't love them. Yeah. But if I do this thing, I'm only doing it because it's the thing that's relatively expedient. I know it's not going to do anything. But if I don't do something, they'll think I don't love them. You know, <laughs> I mean, I know neither of us have come across anyone in power or in positions of influence facing that particular dichotomy, especially in the last couple of years. But, um, uh, you, you know, and it's a very difficult position to be in. And it takes an incredibly courageous leader to actually pause and say to themselves, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to tell everybody that we've realized that there's some distress, or we've realized there's some dis-ease of some kind, and we are going to actually think about it before we do anything. Mm. That takes an awful lot of courage to do. Mm. And it's also genuinely difficult to do because as the leader, you are part of the system. Right. And it's very hard to look at yourself dispassionately as well as looking at your organization dispassionately. So that is often when people will bring in somebody from outside to actually help them to do that. Because it, it, it's difficult. It's, a bit, it's like um, there's awful stories we used to hear about uh, a psychologist who would go into to a family setting and try and help the family sort out its issues, you know, and the challenges and the complexities and do people want to do it or not, you know, and that's like five people. Hmm. And so for an organization, it's, it's so much more complex and difficult. And it's especially difficult if the leader themselves is in a state of less than optimum wellness and well-being. So if the leader themselves is actually stressed, exhausted, confused, feeling lost, not sure why they're doing what they're doing, etc., it becomes even more difficult for them to actually examine what they're doing and how they're leading and how their people are and what their people need. Right. Yeah, it's um, when I think about wellness, I think about, it's almost like it's a state of, I think you were getting at this a bit earlier. It's a state of, it's a state. And it's a state that is, um, that starts with a, with a feeling of, or starts with the feelings of people um, around the being, feeling safe, feeling uh, comfortable, relaxed, you know, the, all of those kinds of feelings that allow for expansive thought, uh, allow for creativity and all the things that we've already mentioned, like adaptability and so on. Mm. So, so well-being is almost like a state. Now, you know, I, I often think of the corporate, the corporation today is wrestling with issues of, well, if everyone's freaked out because of the last couple of years and now freaked out because of what's happening in Ukraine, um, what, what do we need to provide so that they have a sense of well-being? 
Yeah. And, and so we need to provide um, dietary advice. We need to, I'm not joking actually, um, but provide flexible work arrangements. Yes, another you see, one. Yoga is another one, yoga classes, meditation. What were you going to say? There's an endless list of lovely, benevolent things that one could do for one's people. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think this is another thing sometimes that leaders fall into where they, they look at that list and they start offering things to their people yeah. that they believe will be really helpful. Yeah. But without first conducting some diagnostic work to identify what really are the levers for wellness? What really is it? There's a model I use with organizations, which is called the seven energy levels model. Have mm. you heard of it? No. It was developed by Professor Paul Tozzi at Surrey University. He's a, he was in the human potential research group. And mm. uh, he developed this model. Um, you're familiar with the chakra system? Yes, I am. Okay. So, you know, the chakra system has seven key points that mm. relate to the human body and the energy system of the human body, he took that model and he overlaid it onto organizations to say, if you imagine that an organization has seven chakras as an organization, you can actually diagnose the organization on each of those seven levels, if you mm -hmm. like, and identify on which level is the greatest distress right now of the seven? Mm -hmm. And on which level is there a, the greatest resource of the seven? And you can then come up with a strategy which utilizes the level with the greatest strength to address the distress on the level with the greatest distress. Yes. And, that, and that's when you can then take your endless list of benevolent, lovely things to do and it becomes obvious which of those are in fact relevant to that organization mm. in that moment. So for example, in some cases, let's say the, um, the, third, the third chakra, which is the solar plexus chakra, if you lay that, that on the organization, that is the one which is to do with systems, process, organization, and all of that working beautifully. In some organizations, that's where the fix needs to be. Because in some organizations, people are feeling not, you know, not well, not happy, et cetera, et cetera, because the systems are too confusing and not supportive and too complicated and faulty. And if you clean up those systems, everyone feels a lot better. No yoga, no massage, no chanting, no drumming just sorting out the systems or if it's the next level up which is the heart which is about relationship and community that that one is not about systems it's about people actually talking to each other and listening to each other and people collecting together and hanging out and people expressing what they feel so do you see what I mean? Each of the seven levels yeah. has a completely different response. Yeah, no, it's it's. I love this model that you're talking about. It is a beautiful model. Yeah, what's it called again? The seven energy levels model. Okay, by Tozy. Professor Paul Tozy. Yeah. T o z y e y. T o s e y. Okay, Tozy. Okay. 
No, that's good to know. Um, some of some of the listeners might be interested in that. Um, and by the way, just a reminder to everyone: this is a People Smart production, <laughs> and my guest today is Catherine Llewellyn. And uh, Catherine is a a, um, a highly experienced um, consultant. You probably don't like that word because I know you, you're kind of a th- free thinker, which I love about you. Um, but a consultant, I'll say it anyway, very generic, but a highly experienced consultant and is uh, one of her areas of expertise is in the whole topic of well-being and vitality, which is what we're talking about today. But very interestingly, what we are talking about, I think, is trying to get to the root of what really generates well-being and vitality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think you've hit something quite interesting there just now in that model that you talked about. Um, I have a colleague at PeopleSmart, uh, uh, another consultant called Jeremy Williams, who just um, suffered terribly in Kiev and um, managed to get his family out um, safely. And now he's back in in Paris. And the story that he has is quite extraordinary. His particular emphasis when it comes to well-being and vitality and if you think about the context in which he's he's now talking about it and writing about it Mm. his emphasis is on uh, the importance of we versus I yeah and when you talk about the heart chakra and interpersonal relationships and communication um, Jeremy believes very strongly that you know uh, the 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 corporate well-being the body of the people and their well-being um, relies so much on people being together, uh, unified, communicating, uh, yeah. versus being out for themselves, which is a very interesting way of looking at context for well-being. I think what it is, and it is interesting. And um, someone, probably Scott Peck or somebody, said, "You you can't have a really good functioning community without." good functioning individuals so we we need the i as in i am me i want this i want to offer you that and we also need we together want to accomplish this we together are doing that so i i think you need both because if you overemphasize the one then if you overemphasize the we and lose the i Essentially, you've got a cult. <laughs> you know? And if you overemphasize the I and lose the we, you've essentially got um, a bunch of mavericks who don't cooperate. <laughs> so you, yeah. you, you need some of both. So then how can, I mean, maybe you've answered this already, Catherine, um, but how can organizations raise the level of, of wellness? Do you think you've answered that already, or is there another? Well, I don't describe it. Given that there probably isn't a answer to that, um, right? And I, even if I have, I can always do it again because <laughs> there are so many different ways of answering it's that. It's true; it is a huge topic, as far as it, it is a huge topic. But also, I would say it's going to be different for every organisation. Yeah. As we said. Yeah. Um, I I always um, tend towards saying that the leaders of the organization, and I mean the people right at the top, mm-hmm. this is not something to delegate down to the executive team or whatever, but 
the most powerful leverage is when those people start by looking at their own wellness situation and by understanding in what in what regard are they personally healthy and vital and thriving and in what regard are they not and in what regard are they habitually running their lives in a way that supports their well-being and in what regard are they habitually running their lives in a way which doesn't because if, if they understand what their, their level of awareness and their levels of unawareness around wellness for themselves, they can then build on that, strengthen their connection with the whole topic for themselves, strengthen themselves, nourish themselves, and that then puts them in a position where they can go in and look at their organization from a slightly more informed place and from a more balanced place because otherwise, and again, you'll have seen this, and I'm sure many listeners will have seen this, where a leader says, right, I want to raise the level of wellness in my organization. And they say, right, everybody needs to do X. And that's based entirely on their biases, many of which they may not be conscious of. So they're then at risk of spending a lot of money doing things which have no benefit and possibly have quite a big cost to them. So they need to get educated first, mm. looking at themselves and their own wellness. And then they need to look at the organization and do diagnostic around whether it's the seven energy levels model or some other modality for exploring and identifying where is the distress, where is the strength, where are the resources? What strategy can we put together that husbands the resources and the strengths and addresses the stresses. And then it's very individual for each organization. I like that. I like it. I like sort of taking a much more objective, uh, in a sense, rational view of analytical view of, of an organization as an entity. Um, and looking at it's a bit like the human body, isn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. if you've got right now, I've got a rotator cuff problem. And it's bloody annoying and it's quite painful at times and I've got to be very careful, but it's distressing other bits of me. Yes. My body is out of balance. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I, I am reminding myself every day at the moment that if I don't take care of that, the rest of my body is going to suffer. Yeah. And so I'm really focused on making sure that I'm well that this, this doing all the physical therapy I need to do. Mm. Well, I've been reluctant to do it, but just starting it. Well, um, that's a perfect example, you know, and that, that reluctance you mentioned, mm. that's the sort of thing people need to look into. Mm. You know, what is that reluctance? Mm. What is it about? Why is it there? And guess what? That will be reflected in the organisation. Absolutely, yeah. And, and, you know, Catherine, people talk about, um, toxic uh, organizations, toxic cultures, toxic leadership. Mm. Um, well, obviously, that's not that's not about well-being. It's about toxicity. Um, <clears throat> so, again, you know, when when you think about to a toxic leader, is a good example of a leader who hasn't done the work on themselves first in order to understand the massive impact. That they have on their whole organization like you just said 
Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not very keen on these to labels like toxic because you, when you actually sit down and talk to one of these people, they're a human being like anybody else. You know, I, I, I was working with an organization in the utility, in, in utilities, interestingly, given what's happening with oil at the moment and gas and so on. And um, people would say about the chief exec, he's not a people person, you know, Catherine. And I'd say, what do you mean he's not a people person? Is he a person? Well, yes. <laughs> Does he have people who love him? Well, yeah. yes. Does he love people? We're not entirely sure about that, but probably, you know, <laughs> he's a person, right? So what do you mean he's not a people person? And what they actually meant was he didn't behave in the way that they thought empathetic people were supposed to behave. That's what it meant. And they were judging him from that perspective. But if we dug a little bit deeper, we discovered what was also happening is they were never treating him as a human being. I'm talking about his board directors. None of them ever spoke to him human being to human being. They always spoke to him as, as if he was sort of the Lord and Master. So he was kind of forced into this awful position of being completely isolated with all these yes men around him who would not talk to him like a human being. So someone else looking in from outside might have called him a toxic leader. But if you look a little bit deeper, you can see there's a much more complex dynamic going on. Um, I take your point. And I think that's a very fair comment. Uh, and probably the most appropriate comment um, required when you talk about a toxic leader, so-called. That said, my point still, I think, remains that um, to your earlier point about how, you know, where does, where does wellness, if you want to increase the wellness levels in your organization, where do you start? You start with yourself as a leader. Yeah. Um, there still has to be the leader taking responsibility for, for example, of, you know, if that is the perception that, that people have of them, that they are not a people person and that they're actually willing to look at and address the, the, the pressures they're under that cause them to behave in that way. And mm -hmm. are they willing to maybe, based on the impact they're having on other people, are they willing to become more of a people person? Yeah. Because I, I do believe that, you know, well-being is also about being at peace with yourself mm. and being able to access uh, the feelings and the heart, the empathy and so on, as much as it is to access your intellectual brilliance. Absolutely. I think that's beautifully said. Absolutely right. Yes. And I think that is that is the challenge, really. You're quite right. Mm. Which is, am I prepared as a leader? Am I prepared? to step up and be more, be more yeah. for my people and with my people. Am I prepared to do that? Yeah. Am I interested in doing that? It's a good question. A lot of, a lot of people don't because they're under pressure. Or they don't even see the question. You know, yeah. I think once someone sees the question, that, that by definition means they are somewhere along the path because otherwise they wouldn't even perceive it as a question. Mm. And once the question, it's one of those questions like a, like a brain worm, it gets in there and won't leave you alone until you deal with it. <laughs> I've never had a brain worm, I don't think. <laughs> I hope not. It sounds awful. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? It's like a thing that sort of nags at you. I know. 
and you're thinking, no, 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 it's not very important. And you just can't, you know, you just can't get rid of it until you respond. Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> I just had this picture when you said it, this literally this worm inside the brain and not very pleasant. Anyway. So a little bit, little bit of a visceral example that I'm uh, afraid. <laughs> that's all right. Oh dear. Um, fantastic. Well, we're going to be wrapping up pretty soon here. Um, and at the end, I'm going to ask you to share with it, with the audience the uh, your details, and so they can get in touch with you if, if they'd like to, and so on. Mm. Um, also, you know, maybe they would also like to look into some of your eBooks um, yeah. you publish on Amazon. Um, prior to that, though, is there anything that you'd like to say, by sort of in terms of conclusion about this topic? that you feel is an imperative? Yeah, there, 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 I wouldn't say an imperative, but I suppose kind of, I, I'd like to offer a slightly compassionate message, if I may, to leaders, which is, this is a difficult time for everybody. And try not to give yourself a hard time about it. You, you know, you, you don't need to do that. Whatever state your organization's in, it's not your fault whatever state the world's in is not your fault. And you may be someone who can do something about it on, a, on any of those levels, but it's not your fault. So, you know, give yourself a break. And it's, it's not easy addressing some of these issues. So get some support, get some help, even if it's your partner, you know, you've got permission to vent about it for two hours on a Saturday or whatever it is, give, just give yourself some help. And if you can't do anything else at all, just get a bit more sleep. What a great piece of advice to finish on. And there's a lot of us out there that need more sleep. <laughs> there really are. I, mean, I, would, I would almost bet money, a lot of money, on nine times out, nine people out of ten need more sleep. And it yeah. does make a huge difference, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah. Talk about vitality and well-being. <laughs> Yeah. The difference between, say, five hours sleep every night for a few nights and and seven or eight hours sleep is massive. Yeah. yeah or then, nine hours sleep. I sleep for nine hours a night at the moment. Good for you. Because there's so much to process what's going on. Yeah, I, I need to. I, I was going to say I need to work on that. That sounds awful. There's nothing <laughs> worse than saying I need to work on getting more sleep. That sounds like a horrible <laughs> thing to have to do. But I think that sums up beautifully how a lot of people approach the whole question of wellness. I must get into the gym. Yeah. I must stop eating carbs. You know, is it, <laughs> that's why it's so hard because we get yeah. into that. I've done it myself. Yeah. We get into that mindset. Yeah, that's funny. All right, Catherine. So how do people get in touch with you and give, give some information, website, any other thing, uh, LinkedIn, uh, ebooks whatever you want to share great thank you so my website is yes you now y-e-s-y-o-u-n-o-w dot today t-o-d-a-y and on there you can find more information there's a little video of me and there's a longer video you can sign up for and there's a questionnaire you can do good good website about yourself right? hmm? very good very good website thank I you like website. it's good Thank you very well, much. Well, checking out, everybody. Thank you very much. So that's a place to go. 
or you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Catherine with a C, Llewellyn, double L E W E double L Y N. Catherine, C A T H E R I N E. Yes. Because I right. had a former business colleague called Catherine K and then R H R Y N at the end. Yes. So be careful these days. You know. I know. So those are probably two good places. If if you you know feel compelled to pick up the phone and say hello immediately, you can call me on plus four four triple seven zero two six seven two three zero. Brilliant. Very good. Um, thank you for sharing your information, including your phone number. I'm, I'm sort of a re re revisionist these days, or reverse revertingist. I don't know what the expression is, but. I'm, I'm sort of really leaning towards more picking up the phone and talking to a colleague uh, yeah. and saving time and effort by sort of going backwards and forwards with emails and stuff. Yeah. I like direct contact. It's so much easier. Absolutely. Yeah. And why not? You know, if I'm in a meeting, you won't get through. If I'm not in a meeting. Leave a message. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and that number works on WhatsApp as well. If oh, you're great. in the US or something. And okay. don't fancy running up a massive phone bill. That's so what's, <laughs> what's the number again? Plus four four triple seven zero two six seven two three zero. Okay, great, fantastic. Anything else? Are we done? It's been such a pleasure, Michael, and thank you very much for inviting me. I love talking about this stuff. Well, thank you, Catherine. It's been. Uh, Shall we let the audience into a secret that we knew each other? We were colleagues a long time ago in London. Yeah, we I hadn't think... actually seen each other now for many years. That's right. And uh, I can't even remember how we reconnected, but it was quite recently. Um, I saw you on LinkedIn, buzzing about on LinkedIn, saying uh, things. So I picked up the phone and called you. And said, you did. That's right. I and said, Michael, you're doing great stuff on LinkedIn. How the hell are you? <laughs> and we ended up having some conversations. So. Thank you so much. Um, really, really enjoyed it. And I think what you're doing with this podcast is fantastic. Thank you very much, Catherine. Appreciate it. Bye for now. Bye for now.